I'm just going to be blunt. Re-examine your assumptions about what it means to be a Christian woman. Um, one of the things that's challenging is that culture has culture within the church and in popular culture, you know, secular culture talks a lot about what it means to be a woman, a successful woman, but step back and examine like what have been the factors that have shaped this in good and in bad ways? Where has culture spoken loudly in my life? And then where do I see an expansive invitation from the Lord to use my gifts in scripture? Welcome to the Women in Work podcast, the show that inspires you to confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. I'm Courtney Moore, and usually I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Missy Branch. But for this season of the podcast, I'm going solo. For the next several weeks, you'll hear from the contributing authors of our forthcoming book with B&H Publishing entitled Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work. Our team prays these conversations are not only encouraging and inspiring, but will also give you a good preview of the book itself as we chat about each chapter throughout the season. You'll also love getting to know our amazing contributing authors whose chapters I had the privilege of editing. Pre-order your copy of Women in Work at the link in the show notes, and thank you for joining our mission here at Women in Work by making a one-time donation or by becoming a monthly partner at womenwork.net slash donate. Thank you so much for joining us today. Listeners, welcome back to the show today. We are thrilled to have another contributing author with us. Um, Joanna Meyer is here. She has written um, a beautiful chapter in the Women in Work book, and I really believe this conversation is going to cause you to want to get to know Joanna even more and to read what she has written about how the Lord has worked in her life and ultimately in her work. So Joanna, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's so great to be with you. We love having you back. Actually, you were on a previous episode and I want to point our listeners back to episode 23. So scroll back Um, after you listen to this episode today, you can scroll back and hear more from Joanna. But first, let me introduce you. Yeah. For our listeners who haven't um, heard that episode yet, let me introduce um, them to a little bit about who you are, Joanna. So Joanna Meyer serves as the Denver Institute for Faith and Works Director of Public Engagement, where she leads the events. She hosts the Faith and Work podcast, and she founded the national initiative Women Work and Calling. Prior to joining the Institute, she worked in global telecom, nonprofit consulting, and campus ministry with CREW. She also served as associate faculty at Denver Seminary's Leadership Development Program. Joanna has an MA in Social Entrepreneurship from Bakke Graduate University, and she graduated magna cum laude from the University of Colorado in Boulder. She lives in Aurora, Colorado. So welcome back, friend. So great to be here. (laughs) All right. I was trying to remember, Joanna, how we initially even connected. Do you remember I have no idea. I, I know I was following you guys on social media, and I think we had a conversation at some point along the way. And our old CEO at Denver Institute was like, well, you need to get to know the, the folks from Women at Work. I'm like, I already do. That's <laughs> so right. I, don't, I didn't one-up him on social connections very often, but I would love that I had that one. And we I just went to together, and we've collaborated. We're just sisters at work, co-belligerents. It's so fun. It's so much fun. I remember that now because we scheduled a call with your former CEO and then 
we we already knew you, but I don't think he knew that we knew you. So that was like a fun little coincidence there. <laughs> well, we love knowing you. Um, yes. And though, for those of you guys who are just now tuning into this season of the podcast, but you've listened to previous episodes, you know that Missy Branch and I actually co-host this show together. This season, we've we, this is a whole new special season because we're dedicating the whole thing to the book. So you will hear from her as she talks about her own chapter in the book. So you'll make sure to catch that episode. So today is just myself and Joanna. All right, Joanna, since you've been on before, I have a whole new set of three questions to ask you today instead of our typical rapid fire questions. Are you ready for them? Mm-hmm. These it. might not be as rapid, but they're interesting to me. <laughs> All right. The first one, Joanna, what aspect of your work are you is bringing you the most joy right now? Well, we have a new CEO at the Denver Institute, and that oh, always yeah. brings changes, uh, good new challenges. But uh, he's highly collaborative, and he's bringing some new ways for us to be thinking about the way that we approach the work we're doing. And that is really fun. I, I like getting a chance to grow. I like how he leads. So that's been good. Mm-hmm. And another thing is that I am coming alongside three churches this spring to help them think more broadly about their women's ministries. Uh, I'll put that as a little flag for our listeners as our conversation continues. If you like this idea of uh, a more robust approach to whole life stewardship for women, I'm starting to talk to churches about that. And I'm really passionate because I think that's the grassroots of this conversation related to women working. You're exactly right. We, In fact, my team was just talking this morning about the churches and how really that's where we need to be having these conversations is mm-hmm. with the women we're rubbing shoulders with week to week in our real lives. And so that's great. I'm happy to yep. hear about that. It'll be a fun All experiment. Right. What is the biggest lesson you learned last year? Gosh, I think in the life of any leader, you hit the point where you're like, well, I've uh, exhausted where my gifts can take me. And now I need to look more deeply at the inner work that leads to leadership growth and better understanding some of your blind spots or weaknesses. So this has been a year of a year of learning on that. One of the women who reports to me, I was simmering about something and I think she could feel it. And she verbalized, I knew you weren't mad at me. And I had to keep reminding myself of that. Um, And I thought no one who works with me should have to remind themselves that I'm not mad at them. And so I thought I'm starting the process of figuring out how I better manage myself and my emotions related to my work. I can't, I hope the Lord brings you to a place where you are ready to share that with others, because I'm, I would like to learn what you're learning. So that sounds I think fabulous. This is a conversation <laughs> for another day, but I think there is a lot to be explored in the area of women and anger, both the godly Ooh. use and understanding of it, because we do need it in our leadership um, and strength of conviction and drive. But there's also unaddressed reasons of like, why are we angry? So Oh, that sounds very good. Okay, last rapid fire question. What's something you're planning on doing this year or you hope to do that you've never done before? Gosh, I want to go to the Crested Butte Wildflower Festival this summer. It's up in the Colorado mountains and apparently along the hiking trails, they're just carpeted with wildflowers. Beautiful. All right, so post that to to the gram if you go. (laughs) All right, so we want to hear, for our listeners just tuning in, just getting to know you, we've already kind of been through a lot of your story, like I said, on episode 23, but just very briefly, tell us just where you've spent most of your, where'd you grow up, where'd you spend most of your adult life, and just a snippet of how you came to faith, and we can refer them to back to the previous episode if they need to hear more. Yeah, I grew, split my time between the Midwest, the Chicago area, and Denver, Colorado. I'm a pastor's kid, and so I came to faith uh, early in elementary school. 
Uh, but it's been through my young adulthood and especially in kind of my midlife years that the reality of the gospel has had to become real in my life in, in new ways. And we'll talk about that in this episode. Um, so tell our listeners the title of your chapter. It's The Grief and Grace of an Unexpected Career. Grief and Grace of an Unexpected Career. Joanna, that chapter, to me, that it, there is so much beauty just in that chapter title. Um, and you really talk about this in the, I mean, so the whole chapter is about the grief and the grace of an unexpected career. So why tell our listeners, why do you have a career that is unexpected? Explain that a little bit to us. Yeah, I think this refers to my own personal journey and also a broader reflection on discipleship for Christian women in evangelical circles. But one of the things that's unique about my life, and I know it's actually not unique. There are a lot of women in this boat is that like, I'm still single. I'm in midlife. I'm in my forties, single, um, no longer able to have kids, which is something that I talk about that journey in the book. Um, and so career has had to play a bigger role in my life than I ever thought. If you had talked to my high school girlfriends, they joked that I was the one most likely to get married. They thought I'd be the first one down the wow. altar. And the irony is that they're all married. Some of them have gone on to get divorces and I'm still as single as I ever have been. Um, and so just by necessity, work has had to play a central role in my life. And it's also been a gift. Um, I've discovered so many uh, leadership gifts and opportunities to have a broader impact in the world through work. But that combination of um, length of time of singleness and also lack of discipleship for understanding work and how it fits into the life of faith have um, just been really painful for me. And it's driven my passion for other women not to experience that for themselves. Exactly. So you have, I'm going to read a quote from the kind of the beginning part of your chapter that I think is beautifully written and also is the sentiment that so many women feel. This is what you say. You said, I was wrestling with the reality that life had not unfolded the way I expected. I lacked imagination for my place in God's world and the courage to act on it. You had maintained a hovering posture toward work, hesitantly making plans at each stage of my growing career but holding these plans loosely in case I met a man who might change the tra trajectory of my life. When I read that first statement, when I just read that the first time, I thought, wow, you just hit the nail on the head of so many women feel this way. And so when you talk to women, in what ways are you sensing them relate to that statement that life has not unfolded in the way they expected? Yeah, I think there's probably two audiences I would speak to. One is to single women and one is to Christian women in general. But um, for single women, I had a conversation with a friend, a new friend at church last week over coffee. And she said, I'm 42 and I am really sitting with coming to terms that I may never be a biological mother. And I think that's a reality for as women are single longer and there are less men in church circles. Um, that's an increasing reality for a lot of Christian women. And so there's just moments where you're like, wow. This is not what I thought my life would look like, especially if you really passionate, like you would love to be a mom. Um, right. And I think I'm one of the few women that is openly talking about that. I don't know a lot of other theologically thoughtful women that are talking about that reality. Um, and the sense of isolation and longing that that produces in our lives is pretty profound. And as we talk a little bit about grief in this episode, um, it's a weird kind of grief, like it's normal to think of somebody grieving a divorce or the loss of a parent or even a pet. But mm -hmm. like, how do you deal with the ambiguous grief of what really is infertility as a single person? Um, that just right. 
it's awkward to know how to deal with that. So, um, so I think I was speaking to that. The other part of, uh, of what I wrote refers to the lack of vocational discipleship for Christian women. Um, and so for so many of us who really are gifted and passionate and have a unique vision, uh, for living a life of faith in the world, there just isn't a, a really like theologically robust, framework for thinking about that. And that leaves so many questions um, that has either, I often refer to it as churn, where there's a lot of internal dissonance happening for women because we're not speaking to that area of their lives. I think you're so right. And it's interesting when you, you were saying, you know, a lot of women are not talking about this grief of, you know, perhaps not having children or ever getting married. A lot of times you will talk to single women. Um, that, you know, they don't want to talk, they don't want to be known for that. You know, they don't want to be labeled, I guess, as, oh, I'm the single one or, you know, whatever. And so we just don't, we don't talk about it, which is fine. But if this is like a whole thing in your life that, you know, God has used and um, now, you know, he's using you to encourage other women with it. I mean, he can really use all those circumstances to, for his purposes, right? And so having that conversation, um, I think, is so crucial and helpful. That's why I'm so glad that you wrote this chapter to really address it, because we don't know who to talk to. You're grieving something you never had. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, OK, if, if you lose a parent or, you know, if someone dies, you you know what was in that place and now they're gone. But mm-hmm. to just say, oh, my goodness, I hope for something that didn't happen. It's a different a different grief. So I'm glad you're talking about it. Yeah. Um, where in those moments you know, whether if it's, um, it could also be, you mentioned in your chapter about the loss of even promotions at work, like job related mm-hmm. things that you hope you would get that you didn't, or so many, so many things. Um, but where do you think most women are turning to in those moments when they're perhaps shocked or they're despairing or they're sad or they're depressed in their grief, whatever they're grieving, where do you think most Christian women are going? You know, we're not talking about it a ton. Yeah, that's a good question. And I would want to acknowledge that there's a, there are so many diverse ways in which we experience disappointment and grief. I was talking to a friend actually last night at dinner who um, has pursued faithfully and with hard work a certain type of career. And she said, I just am struggling to acknowledge that I've spent the last 20 years working on that, on this, this career and it has not produced financial stability and I'm struggling with the reality of disappointment and fear and everything that goes with it. So there's all kinds of ways that that we can deal with grief. Um, I think there are a couple of ways that that we deal with it. One is, well, I mean, there are a gazillion ways that we deal with it, but things that I'm seeing in my own life and seeing just as I watch other women is that one is that we're satiating our desires with content. And by that, I mean, we just live in an era of information. And so the amount of available content is utterly overwhelming. You know, we use this word streaming to access content online, but it really is a flood of available things that we can be stuffing our lives with. There are innumerable websites or podcasts or television content, online books, things that you can be reading, and you can stuff your life full of it. The other the other weekend, I had a cold and just didn't have the energy to do anything. And so I just laid on the couch all weekend, which is fine. That happens when we're sick. It's, I don't want to imply that that's a bad thing. Um, but I spent the entire weekend binging all three episodes, all three seasons of Emily in Paris. And the reality is like the number of things that you could binge entire series or seasons of is 
is, is the list is as long as our arms. And so if we're not in a healthy spot, we can fall into that um, and just be stuffing our lives with information or the satiation that comes from stimulation. Um, and that covers up a lot of inner hurts really, really easily. Um, we saw in the pandemic that women's alcohol use increased significantly. It was a way to just, um, instead of dealing with pain or isolation in healthy ways, we were torn, turning towards escapes through things like that. I think, um, you know, speaking to Christian women specifically around this kind of grief, I think isolation is a reality. Um, and we probably, as a result of the pandemic, have become more accustomed to that. I think all of us have learned how to be alone more than, yeah. than we had before. Um, and so it's just easy to settle into patterns of isolation that aren't healthy. I mean, goodness, I've gotten so used to sitting alone at church um, that I don't even think twice about it. I have moments where I think, gosh, I don't love this. Um, but it just become the normal experience. And I say this as somebody who has a vast network of friends. It's not like, exactly. not like I'm a hermit or I don't have social skills. Like I have a richer relational network than a lot of people, but it's just a reality. You know, I live by myself. Uh, it's easier to show up at church and sit by myself. And so uh, that sense of isolation in those seasons of transition or disappointment is, is very real. And it's, it's honestly, it's, it's a really unhealthy combination of the isolation and then the streaming of content that you know is not going to lead you down a path of, of help, you know, mm-hmm. str- just filling yourself with if it's just on your phone. That's what I'm guilty of, just numbing out and just scrolling, right? Or whether <laughs> totally. it's all the seasons, you know, but knowing that that is not going to lead us toward toward life, toward the life that the Lord has for us. And so, um, you know, you share in the book some deeply personal losses. I mean, we, you know, use the word infertility here, but you mm-hmm. went through quite a lot, um, as, as a woman, um, mm-hmm. and you can share a little bit of that, um, now if you would like, but one of the, and I'll read another quote, um, in the book, you say that in this time of grief, you kind of went through this experience, you had some major surgery happen and you said that, um, spiritual platitudes offered no solace as I emerged from surgery, grieving that I would never experience this part of a woman's design. Talk about that. Just explain that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah. yeah. I, in, er, in my early forties, I started having like, well, we can talk about gynecology because this is a women's podcast. Sure. So guys, if you're listening, like, Hey, this is an opportunity <laughs> to learn. I started having like super heavy periods and just didn't think anything of it until my, my personal doctor was like, I think you've gotten so used to this. You don't realize what's really happening. I was losing so much blood that I turned up anemic at my annual physical. And that, uh, it was like a stopwatch started click. And I just knew like I had a window of time uh, as I was having uterine fibroids. That was the issue. That's a very common problem for women. Um, And uh, at that point, it was like, will I ever be able to have kids? There's like this window of time. We knew that those were growing and taking over my uterus. We took a couple like minor medical procedures and hormonal birth control to try and manage it. But in the back of my head, uh, in fact, my doctor, she had terrible bedside manner. She actually said, if you ever want to have kids, it's go time. And I think what she meant was like, you got to get start doing in vitro fertilization or high powered fertility stuff. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know. As a Christian woman, I don't know what I think about this. There's a single woman. Um, there's just, I, it was a, it was such a mess of emotions and confusion. Um, but I felt like I had this window of time where it's like, maybe God will work a miracle and allow me to have a child. And, uh, he didn't in spite of much prayer and waiting and online dating. Like I did everything I could to try and see that desire met in my life. Um, right. and then right at the peak of the pandemic, 
the minute like the lockdowns lifted and we were able to get back into surgery again, I, they removed my uterus. My fibroids had gotten so big and the bleeding was so profound um, that there really was no other option. Um, and so here I was, I am a single Christian woman, have never been sexually active because I hold a conservative vision of marriage and sexuality and they're taking my uterus out and talk about awkward. Even oh. I'm laughing because even as... I'm verbalizing that. I say like, I just, uh, they make, they make movies. I'm the 40 year old virgin in my life. Um, And yet it's reality. And there are a lot of other women that are in that spot. If they had lived a life that they've tried to steward and be faithful. And so I can laugh about it now. Um, And I also weep about it because it just was really painful. And so as I came out of that season of kind of like despairingly hoping the Lord would work and then grieving, um, grieving the surgery, I just have had to sit with that. Um, And you had asked a little bit about how I dealt with it. Uh, I threw everything at the grief that I was experiencing. I did counseling. I did spiritual direction. I prayed and read the Bible. Um, and nothing lifted that despair. And, and I say that because I want other women yes. to hear that, that you can be faithful and still heartbroken. Um, and God Absolutely. is in that. And it's not a formula for getting out of it. And I felt a lot of shame around that. Did Even you? in conversations with my closest loved ones, they would say like, well, you know, if you just were trusting in God and reading scripture you should be able to change the way that you feel. Um, and so there was shame for me around that of not, I was embarrassed to talk about it because it was like this weird grief, you know, as I just described sure, it. It was, yeah. um, it was not like a socially acceptable form of, of grief, or at least it felt like that to me. And um, I just felt shame that I wasn't able to lift the great sorrow that I felt. And, and so, I, I think I'd want our listeners to hear that grief is a personal journey. Um, there's not a formula. And so please don't try and speed yourself out of it or fix it. Have wisdom in the choices that you're making, but know that that the silence of God, uh, it's a very biblical thing. Right. So just to, every, everyone's grief is personal and different, mm-hmm. but for you, how long do you feel like, man, this dark cloud is not lifting? Was this like a year? Was it, you know, how long did you feel like you were just under that? You know, I think there were periods of deeper intensity. It, it overlapped with the pandemic. So it's always hard right. to know um, right. how much of it was situational, how much it was personal. But like I probably was grieving, I bet, for a good solid three years because there was the grief of knowing that a hysterectomy was in the car, that it was coming up for me, even if we hadn't use those words and said, the time is now to do the surgery. I knew that that was the likely outcome. And so there was a lot of fear and anticipation. And then there were probably, I think there were two years of grief, some of which was more active um, than others, but it's just been in the last, you know, six months or a year that I, I have been able to say like, gosh, it feels like something has shifted and that I'm more optimistic and forward and looking in life. Um, so during those hardest moments, and even now when you feel like it has lifted, how are you making sense of the reality of your life and the goodness of God? How did those two, how did, because not that everyone's going to question why or God, where are you? But those questions no doubt arose. And then, you know, all of this is of course affecting your work. And so how are you kind of pairing the goodness of God with, with this suffering? Yeah, I think um, there are aspects of, 
this journey in which I will never get a good answer. Right. To be honest. And I think that happens with lots of areas of grief. I mean, tragedy happens in lives in different forms right. every day that will never have an answer of like, this happened, God was faithful, therefore everything's all good. I mean, there are some of those unanswered things that are just the consequences of living in a fallen world. And so for me, that sense of like, hey, God designed my body to be able to bear a child and I won't be, that that is not an answer I'll have um, between now and heaven. And uh, and so I try to really avoid platitudes of saying like, hey, you know, God was good in the midst of this. But one thing I, I can say is that God is faithful and present and aware of the experiences that I face. And I think when one of the things that has been most helpful at various moments of, moments of suffering in my life is knowing um, that Christ was a man that was in, acquainted with sorrow, as scripture right. says, like that he, he knows, even if his experience isn't identical to mine, he was a man, I'm a woman, but he knows sorrow. And I think of all of the worldviews and religions uh, and God figures out there, Christ is the only one that experienced suffering in this way. And so I have a companion in that. Um, and that that is a beautiful thing. I think other things that have helped of just time and having a broader framework about the stewardship of my life, like I got amazing things going on in my life, like amazing. Um, And so sorrow exists in the, in the broader context of what God invites me to. You know, one thing I think is tough in, in church circles is that we have framed so much of the feminine experience for Christian women around marriage and motherhood that I think it's, the difficulty is amplified because of church culture. And so that's why I'm so passionate about a broader conversation for women. No, I think you're right. That's beautiful. And so you mentioned that during that season, you felt like you talk about this in the book that God was silent. You were praying, mm-hmm. you were coming to church, you were going to counseling, you were doing all the things. But, you know, I've heard people say, and I'm curious about your response to this, that people would say, no, you know, God, God is not silent. He has written a whole <laughs> book. And if you just open it up, Joanna, you will, he will speak to you. How, how are you, when you hear that? <laughs> you're laughing tell me what you think because people I think it's, genuinely... I, I just, you know I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be blunt mm-hmm. I think it's incredibly unkind <laughs> I think it's Thank incredibly you. unkind to offer prescriptive solutions to grief because mm-hmm. I would say in in concept yes scripture is alive and active it is the word of God to us today but to say, because you read scripture, your pain will be alleviated is unkind to the reality of people mm-hmm. that are suffering. And mm-hmm. I would say, look at any of the Psalms of lament uh, or okay. biblical figures that cried out to God and just said, why is this happening? The Bible is peppered with stories of people um, who had incredible doubt. I, I, just listen to these words from Psalm 22. It says, oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Mm -hmm. And I think it is okay to have those moments where you just are shaking the heavens with your emotion and your prayers of saying, God, like, where are you? Um, I think that is just one of the mysteries of God, that we have a God who's intimately present, incredibly powerful, terrifying in his holiness. Like that is the mystery of God. And so we can choose to be faithful and be engaged. But even if you're doing all of the right things, there can still be mystery and difficult things in our relationship with God. That's exactly right. Thank you. I love that answer. And even that Psalm, you know, that Psalm 22 
is a lot of people have pointed that straight to Jesus himself because mm-hmm. there's a lot in that psalm about um, that's really a prophecy of him. And I think about, you know, on the cross when he cried out, my God, my God, why are you forsaking me? You know, I mean, it wasn't like the father said, don't worry, it'll be over soon. I mean, he was mad. I got a verse for that, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, so. I mean, that the son of God would, would acknowledge that he felt forsaken. Mm, wow. Gives hope to anyone that is experiencing suffering or ambiguous grief that right. we have a companion, but it's not a formulaic solution. Right. Thank you for that. And so how in the midst of grief, Joanna, did you find the energy to keep working, to to keep going? And the thing is, it's not that you just put forth the minimum. If anyone knows you and the quality work you produce, and Mm -hmm. I mean, even just your vision for women working calling, I mean, you're not putting out minimum work here, minimum effort. You, the Lord has gifted you in some amazing ways to go above and beyond but you, you know, and I are both women of vision, aren't we? I mean, I'm talking <laughs> about shifting the conversation around influence in public life for Christian women. I mean, that's no small goal. <laughs> Thank you. But like when you're stuck in that place where, where's God? I mean, you couldn't just give up on what he had called you to. You kept moving yeah. forward. How did you find the energy, just straight energy? Because grief is so wearying. Yeah, I think um, a couple of things. One is the pandemic really helped because okay. life was kind of shut down. Like I wasn't having to show up and be quite as like smiley faced and social as I might in other seasons. And we weren't going into work. So it wasn't like I was showing up 40 hours a week uh, dressed for business and, and, and that. So I think I had I had a beautiful couple of years there in which God just met me in the quietness of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I made very wise choices about self-care. Um, and so some of that meant choosing to say no to stuff. And I still try and do that. Um, depending on the situation, like I think of, in my case, uh, babies are a soft spot for me. And so uh, we, and we've talked about this before, like I may make a choice at church uh, to just be thoughtful about how I'm around, around kids. And I love kids. Um, so just being thoughtful about like, to what degree and where, if somebody is a true acquaintance and ha- is having a baby shower, I, I might say no to that and just offer them a gift later. Um, because for me, it's hard to be on the spot and in a group of people for extended time where it's all focused on a baby. So if it's my nearest and dearest, of course, I'm going to be there. Um, but if it's, if it's an acquaintance, then I'll choose to manage it differently. And so there is a lot of just like, how can you make wise choices to care for yourself not always keeping up appearances, um, but just making good choices that that just nourish your heart and are kind to who you are. And there's just a beauty in that. I think proactively too, I um, I begin to see which of my friends could handle the ambiguity of that season. Um, and that's that's really important. I think we need to learn how to be better companions to people in in grief. It's a, you can turn that into a verb. If you've ever heard people talk about companioning others, mm-hmm. um, but I learned really quickly who are the people that were were wonderful companions in that season for me, and I would like to learn to be a better companion towards others in that. Right, and the Lord will will grace us, you know, if we need to be mm-hmm. that to someone, and grace us if we need to be on the receiving end of that mm-hmm. as well. Um, I love the phrase you just used: the ambiguity of that season. Mm-hmm. Boy, because it's there's a lot that there's so it's so complex, right? The emotions, yep. the effort, all of that. So, um, 
You know what I thought of? I was thinking about that in Bugatti. I was talking to one of my closest friends is a mother of four and uh, teenagers. And she said, I'm about three years away from empty nesting. And I'm terrified because I don't know who I am apart from my kids. <clears throat> and I just celebrated her. I said, I'm glad you're asking this question now because you have some time. Like right. God will take you on this beautiful, uh, painful journey of discovering new things about you and inventing how he wants you living life and using your gifts in that season. Good thing for starting now. And so I thought for her, that's a season of ambiguity too. Like we just have to get comfortable with those seasons of being in between in our walk with God. And so just, I would speak to other women whose lives are different than mine. Like we're all going to experience that at some point in our lives. Right. Um, and just as you were talking, I just, you know, you're talking about loss and I'm imagining the the pain you're feeling having to go to baby showers. And I just, as your friend, Joanne, I just want to say, I'm so sorry. I'm just so sorry though. Cause I, I can, I feel that I can empathize that that was truly, it's, it's painful. So anyway, I sympathize with you. All right. So going back to that first quote you read that I read um, from the beginning of your chapter, you had said that you had lacked the imagination um, about your place in God's world and then the courage to act on it. Why do you think that that is such a common theme for women? Because it's the same for me. I mean, I look back at myself as a younger woman and that's really how women in work came to be is me trying to figure out, well, imagine what, how could God use me in ways I never dreamed of? First of all, why are we having trouble imagining how God could <laughs> use us? Like that's a whole thing. That's part of yeah. why I started this podcast, right? To give yeah, women no. imagination. Why is that a thing for women? Yeah. And isn't that beautiful that in the midst of talking about some hard things in life that that has out of that, God has birthed an incredible passion and life energy and purpose. So um, the two go very much go hand in together, hand in hand. I think um, just an observation as somebody who works in the faith and work movement, people, our listeners may not even realize that there is a faith <laughs> and work movement, but yeah, there's this whole like global network of people that are helping uh, believers see a broader integration of their faith in all of life. And we believe in the redemptive, the creative good of work that we see in scripture and also the redemptive influence of work and God's renewal of all things. Like we just want to introduce more and more Christians into that framework because it, it energizes and inspires our life. So that I would say there's a general lack of that for people at any age, gender or life stage. But in particular, there's a critical gap for Christian women. And I'm going to say, something that may feel spicy to some people and not to others, but I think we've done women a disservice because we've centered and spiritualized marriage and motherhood as the pinnacle of a Christian woman's experience. And I say that in no way to diminish the significance of what those roles are. Clearly, as we think about my own grief journey, it was, we think about the biology of a woman's body, like the ability to bring life and be in relationship is a beautiful God-ordained thing. But where we've done uh, women a disservice is that we've centered that as that is the definition of what it means to be a woman. And I would argue God's purposes for women certainly flow through that amazing biology gives us, but that's not the end destination for our lives. Like our lives exist in the broader framework of God's narrative of creation, fall, redemption, restoration, if people mm -hmm. have been exposed to that, like that is the story of our lives. Um, and our parenting, our motherhood, our, our wifehood fits within that. Um, and so because we've, we've, 
presented this curtailed vision for women, we lack imagination. We lack examples and discipleship for life outside of those relationships. And I'd say also uh, we've so emphasized uh, biblical knowledge and personal discipleship, which let me emphasize again, critical to the discipleship journey, but not the end destination. All of that exists with life with God in the world. And so it's that, I think that in the world piece that's often missing for us. Um, Right. You and I were chatting uh, offline about an Instagram post that I had seen the other day that I had kind of ranted about. Uh, Someone had posted online and it it said, um, my job is the God equals the gospel. My career equals side hustle. And I just, I, I, I hit the, uh, the source and I just put it on Instagram and said, this is bad theology and it leads to disintegrated living. And here's why is that um, when we have a narrow view of the gospel or when we say uh, the gospel is a certain expression, like it's evangelizing your coworkers or living morally at work, both of which are God ordained, beautiful things. But we think of our work as just a secondary thing uh, in life we step away from the reality that we live with God in all of life and his redemptive purposes in the world cover every corner of creation. And so when we operate in that theological framework, it means all of life is to be integrated around the common purpose of living with God and his purposes in the world. And so that pushes our imagination and our discipleship to say, we need to be pointing any believer, but especially women to all of life and what the implications of that are. And I love how you go into this and quite big, you go into this in some detail in the chapter based on a passage in Colossians and I love a phrase you use in that whole section. You say that women, their work should be part of God's grand renewal project, right? And I love how you just mm-hmm. mentioned, you know, that we exist in the category of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And a lot of times we forget to put our work in that category, in that whole story of the Bible. And so um, I love um, that part of your chapter where you really give women such a a biblical vision for how to how to think about that, how to think about their work as part of what God is doing to bring all things to himself. It's a really beautiful section. And mm. um, I really love that. The that other thing, so yeah, you write a lot in the book um, and I don't want to give it away because I want our women to actually read the book, but you give a lot of detail, a lot of specific action steps for even how, ways that God is using our work to disciple us. It is such a great chapter, um, Joanna. I know uh, we spend a lot of time talking about the grief of the unexpected career in our conversation today, but there is so much grace in your unexpected career. I mean, can you tell me? Please hear the joy of my voice as I talk about that, (laughs) that that they go hand in hand. And I mean, that's the reality of the Christian life, isn't it? Like our greatest areas of brokenness and uh, the beauty of a life renewed in Christ go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So are there any resources um, that you've written yourself or that you've read lately that would kind of go be a part of this conversation we're having right now? Yeah, you know, we have a, a number of resources at Denver Institute for Faith and Work. I'd point them towards denverinstitute.org where we talk about uh, a life that is formed rather than than found. And it's the mm-hmm. idea that we come to Christ and, you know, we begin a relationship with him, but that 
throughout our lives, spiritual formation, that sense of like God is making us new in Christ and making us who he wants us to be every day. And so one of the things that we've done is we've taken some common spiritual practices and translated them for work. Um, And so like in the chapter of the book, I talk about the idea of um, prayer in the context of the workplace of breath prayers is, is mm-hmm. one form of doing that there. It's simple phrases, spiritual truths that you can, you can use along the rhythm of how you breathe. As you inhale, you say a phrase, as you exhale, you say a phrase. And it's so simple. And yet it's uh, a beautiful and very like intimate way of experiencing God. So something as simple as saying, echoing scripture saying, Lord Jesus Christ, on one phrase of your prayer, have mercy on me, a sinner, on the other uh, expression of your of your inhale and exile. Or you could say, let me think of some others. I'm pulling these off the top of my head, so sure. um, they may not be the most like perfectly phrased. Um, but I think you could even say like, um, Lord, I surrender my lives and my gifts as one phrase of it and say, would you guide and inspire my work today? And Love you can that, just, yeah. you know, you can just sit in that, um, in inhaling and exhaling calmly and the inner work that that will do in calming your heart and centering your mind on the things of the gospel are powerful. So there's lots mm-hmm. of examples of that, um, in which our daily work becomes a setting for spiritual formation in our lives. It's huge. It's huge. And mm-hmm. a lot of times we don't talk about that at church. You know, there's not a lot of small groups sitting around thinking, you know, how are you becoming more like Jesus through your job that you're doing every every day of the week? So I love that you're, you're mentioning that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're going to wrap up. But as we close, um, we asked you this on episode 23, and I'm curious if you might have different advice today. Yeah. <laughs> but w- how would you encourage women? What would you want to leave with them today to say, you know what, if you want to honor God through the work that he's called you to do, Here's how one way I think he would be pleased. I'm just going to be blunt. Re-examine your assumptions Hmm. about what it means to be a Christian woman. Okay. Um, One of the things that's challenging is that culture has, culture within the church and in popular culture, you know, secular culture talks a lot about what it means to be a woman, a successful woman, but step back and examine like what have been the factors that have shaped this in good and in bad ways? Where has culture spoken loudly in my life? And then where do I see an expansive invitation from the Lord to use my gifts in scripture? And this book will be a wonderful addition. I'd recommend um, Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller is a great source to provide thinking about work. I'm writing a book with InterVarsity Press this fall that'll be coming out in October, all of which are inviting us to just a deeper understanding of the broader role of women in the world. And so that can start by removing false assumptions. Amen. So do you have a title for your book that's coming out in the fall? <laughs> well, it's going to echo a lot of this one, you know, because that's one of the things that's so funny is that we have such similar names to the work that we're doing. So ours, the one with University Press is called Women Work and Calling, Step Into Your Place in God's World. And it kind of is a four- four themes we explore related to biblical vision for work, practical skills, soul care, and and rich relationships through our work. So those are some of the themes. We can't wait. We can't yeah, wait. It's going to be fun. Well, there's not a lot being written for Christian women in this. So there's plenty of room for there's us all so to be writing. Room. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you back. It's such an honor for us that you said yes to be a part of this project. And we're so grateful for you and your life and that you would choose um, to send some of your giftedness our way. And we pray it will bless 
all of our listeners and our readers. So we thank you, Joanna. And thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Pre-order your copy of our book, Women in Work, Bearing God's Image and Joining in His Mission Through Our Work at the link in the show notes. And thank you for joining our mission here at Women in Work by making a one-time tax-deductible donation or by becoming a monthly partner at womenwork.net slash donate. If you haven't subscribed to the show, make sure you do that as well so you don't miss a single episode. And with that, we hope you've been inspired to more confidently step into your God-given calling and view your work as meaningful to the kingdom of God. See you next time.